Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion Podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Has Pope Francis told Catholics it's okay to be gay? The answer seems to be yes. Chilean abuse victim Juan Carlos Cruz says Pope Francis told him during a meeting this month, the fact that you are gay does not matter. God made you this way and loves you this way. The Pope loves you this way. You must be happy the way you are. Now, Mr. Cruz may have reported the Pope's comments inaccurately, but if so, the Vatican's done nothing to correct him. The result? A firestorm. Many conservative Catholics are appalled at the suggestion that God creates people with what the Church officially teaches is a disordered sexuality. Liberal Catholics are saying, well, precisely, the Pope wants to scrap the teaching that homosexuality is wrong, though it doesn't teach that being gay is sinful so long as you abstain from sex. My guest, the moral theologian Father Alexander Lucy Smith, will I think, confirm that this is a complicated subject. But here's something that's easy to grasp. The subject of homosexuality was too hot for the Anglican communion to handle. As the rhetoric grew ever more toxic, it fell apart. Could the Catholic Church also be on the verge of unravelling over this? Father Alexander, if I can start by asking, do we know what the Pope actually said? We don't know what the Pope actually said. And um, the Pope was speaking privately to another individual, and it wasn't an official papal act, you can say. It certainly wasn't what we usually expect from popes, which if you go back a few decades, um, all the papal pronouncements on this matter and other matters were formulated in very careful language, which would be published by the Holy See and would have been gone over with a fine tooth comb by lots and lots of people before they were published. So a pope that speaks off the cuff, we've been here before, it's always going to be a new departure for the Vatican, isn't it? And for the rest of us who have to listen. You say we've been here before. You're referring to the Pope talking about divorce and the existence of hell. The most sensitive subjects imaginable, off the cuff. And then these comments have a sort of deniability Mm. because he didn't say them on the record. But then they are not denied, Mm. which to me raises very serious questions about whether the Pope is doing his job properly. But that's not really what we're here to talk about. Some conservative Catholics are saying now the Pope is okay with leading souls to hell. American conservatives especially are extremely anxious because a Jesuit priest, liberal Jesuit with a cult following, Father James Martin, has been campaigning relentlessly on behalf of LGBT Catholics. He's very into identity politics and insists on LGBT as a label, saying the church must stop attacking them, but carefully he doesn't address official teaching. Cardinals are lining up on one side or the other, the Liberals, again, not addressing the elephant in the room, which is the actual content of church teaching and whether or not they want it to be changed. But I've watched homosexuality as a subject wreak havoc among Anglicans because it seems to have a sort of anthropological force. It involves taboos that are far, far deeper than questions of, for example, whether women should be ordained. 
Absolutely, particularly in America, it's it's become something of a focal point of all theological discussions are put through this crucible of of the discussion of homosexuality. And so I think you yourself wrote some years ago, why is people so obsessed in America with the one sin that they're not tempted to commit? You know, many of these American evangelicals in particular. It certainly links in with the American culture war, which of course is not something that is happening, I don't think, yet in Britain. The idea of where do you stand on um, homosexual rights and so on, and the question of gay marriage. The church has been comprehensively defeated on all fronts in the cultural field when it comes to homosexuality. Everybody virtually, including many devout Catholics who speak to me, reject the church's teaching on homosexuality. And as a result, the church tends to go very quiet on this teaching because they realise that they, they, they're not going to get any traction, something you never hear talked about in sermons, for example. Well, I do hear Orthodox Catholics mm. in Britain, though I suspect I wouldn't hear it in America, saying to me, and these, by the way, are straight Orthodox Catholics saying, actually, it makes us very uncomfortable because it seems as if the church is teaching that it's okay to be left-handed so long as you don't write with your left hand. Good analogy. Although I would say that the church is teaching that whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, whatever your inclinations, you have to live a moral life. So I would like to sort of open that out a bit. Well, church teaching is that if you're gay, Mm -hmm. born gay or otherwise... You are automatically called to chastity. You have a vocation to chastity. And homosexual Catholics say, well, okay, but straight Catholics have got an alternative, and we don't, and it's not fair. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, church teaching on this subject is relatively nuanced Mm -hmm. in the sense that although it says that homosexuality is intrinsically disordered, it doesn't say it's a sin to be gay. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me a rather fine line to tread. It's an intrinsically rather precarious balance. I don't think I'm saying anything that a Catholic priest shouldn't say when I say that homosexuality represents a challenge for the Catholic Church. The good news of Jesus Christ is universal good news for absolutely everybody. It therefore is good news for heterosexuals, it's good news for homosexuals, it's good news for people who are not sexual at all. And somehow or another we've got to formulate the good news as good news for those who have a homosexual inclination. And the way you've put it seems that we have got a problem. So is it the good news of Jesus Christ for our homosexual brothers and sisters that they are to live a life of complete abstinence from from sexual acts? How do we present that as good news? Now, every honest theologian will tell you that we do have a challenge in that, in that we don't find it easy at all to preach chastity as a joyful and wonderful state to be in. We see chastity somehow or another as a second-class state to marriage, which, of course, is an odd thing, because once upon a time the Catholic Church taught very convincingly that marriage was definitely second-best and chastity was the tops. But they've changed that because they talk so wonderfully about marriage now, and I think possibly we've made a bit of a mistake in that, in emphasising the joys of marriage. Marriage is a challenge as well as a joy, isn't it? I really wouldn't know. I know, neither would I, being a celibate Catholic priest. But I do see my parishioners, the way they live, the way they act, the the, the challenges they face every day with juggling work and family and um, the financial constraints they're living under. And I do see that marriage is, to quote a lovely cliche, not a bed of roses. Well, as you say, the church's teaching on homosexuality is one that is very difficult to make 
palatable mm. to modern people. On the other hand, it is, although complicated, set out pretty clearly. And the last thing you expect is for the Vicar of Christ to be apparently contradicting the magisterium yeah. off the record and then not denying it when somebody reports his comments, as he knew perfectly well they would be reported. I think that what one of the things the Pope said, which I thought was, as Cardinal Dolan said, it was a beautiful thing to say. He said to Mr. Cruz, he said, that was the man from Chile he was speaking to, he says, God loves you. And I think that is really important, that in every encounter with the official church, every human being, whether they are homosexual or not, needs to go away with a strong conviction that they are loved by God. Now, God loves everybody, including homosexuals, heterosexuals, everybody, men, women and fine, children. And fine, fine. got to proclaim that. Come on, but the reaction of many gay Catholics mm. to that will be, OK, so that means it's OK for me to have sex or to have a partner. It, to which the priest says, uh, no. well, no. Absolutely. But that's not what the Pope said, as far as we know. He I, did not then add, God loves you as you are, however, you must live mm. a chaste life life, because that is what the gospel requires. I think the Pope didn't also say, what he also didn't say is he didn't say it's all right for you to have a partner and to live together with your partner and to have sexual relations with your partner. He didn't mm. actually say that. Possibly my reading of it is this. Let me give you an example. There was a priest in Rome and um, who used to hear confessions. And one day somebody, I've heard this story, it's sort of a story one hears. One day somebody came to him and said, the parish priest of X says, etc. about the state of being gay. What do you say? And this priest gave a much more nuanced version of what the parish priest of X had said. From that moment forward, a lot of people who wanted to discuss this particular topic were hot-footing it to his confessional. One of the things a priest would say to a person who comes along and says, I'm living in a gay relationship, one of the things the priest would be drawn to say would be, well, God loves you. What God wants for you is the best possible way for you to be. The vision of your life that God has is that you and your partner should love each other in fraternal charity. The more you practice fraternal charity, the less you'll practice other forms of self-expression. Well, what's the evidence for that? Sorry. The evidence for that is the well, Catholic Church. The only Church. evidence for that is that partners get tired of having yeah. sex with each other, yeah. which happens in marriage as well. Yes, of course it does, yeah. I think one of the things that the Catholic Church is teaching is saying is that physical acts between members of the same sex are not a proper vehicle for fraternal charity. Fraternal charity is best expressed by overcoming and sublimating your physical urges. Okay, but there's a distinction between saying this is not a proper vehicle for fraternal mm. charity and this is a mortal sin. Yeah. But it's actually the mortal sin that is enshrined in church teaching, not the waffle, if you'll excuse me, about fraternal charity. Yeah. Mortal sin needs to be properly understood. A mortal sin is a grave act which you freely embark on and which you deliberately choose. I would say that when you're hearing confessions, that rarely do you come across somebody who's committed mortal sin in, in a way that ticks all the boxes from a textbook angle. Most people who do serious grave acts do so under very strong compulsion and without a wholehearted assent to that act. Well, one, I suspect, never having heard the confession, but I suspect 
that what lots of priests hear in the confessional is somebody talking about their gay relationship mm. without volunteering any details of what goes yes. on, yeah, lest yeah. they be told something they don't want to hear. Mm. But the chances are that they won't be told something yeah. they don't want to hear because the priest doesn't want to tell them something they don't yes. want to hear. Now, this is rather different from, for example, an adulterous relationship mm. where the priest's advice would be absolutely straightforward. Mm. Oh, yeah. The priest's advice in the case of listening to the confession of a person who's in a homosexual relationship would also be the same as dealing with somebody who's in an adulterous relationship. God wants you to be chaste. And God wants you to stop committing adultery as soon as possible. And God wants you... But the priest is likely to say, stop doing it. And he's much less likely to say, if he's a priest of a liberal cast of mind, stop having sex with anybody. I think the priest is always going to be aware that he can only suggest what's possible. An impossible law is not binding. It would be wrong to say chastity is impossible. Chastity is always possible. But let's remember what St. Augustine said, Oh God, make me chaste, but not yet. Chastity is something that we all aspire to, but it may be a long, stony, steep, upward path to get to that chastity. We want to help the person who's come to confession in the right direction, up the steep and stony path, to encourage them to embrace chastity and the call to chastity. But you've got to do that in a way that is not going to be counterproductive. If you say to somebody who comes to you and confesses to a sexual sin and say to them, you must never ever commit this sin again, if you ever commit this sin again, it'll be a complete disaster, I think you might actually put them off going to confession ever again and also put them off their vocation as a Christian. We learn slowly. God has given us 70 or 80 years for those who are strong so that we will learn the lesson he's got for us. It may take a lifetime to get there. Well, by the time you're 80, you've probably lost your appetite for it anyway. That's that's something we've all got to look forward to, eh? Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, thank God for that. Well, there was a very interesting article the other day, very well written and argued by Damon Linker in mm. The Week, saying that Pope Francis is planning a stealth reform of various Catholic Church teachings particularly those relating to sexuality. Mm. And this would include allowing divorce and remarried people to receive communion, but also includes homosexuality. The idea is that he will challenge the teaching. He will allow these deniable and then not denied comments to seep out into the public domain without any change to teaching, says Damon Linker. His plan is that by the time they get round to changing the magisterium, which is something that that the church teaches cannot be changed, but anyway, from a sociological perspective, one might argue that, of course, it can be changed. By the time that happens, there won't be enough Catholics who feel strongly enough about homosexuality to kick up a stink about it. I'm not convinced because in so many parts of the world, especially Africa, the church is growing in societies in which this is a very, very profound taboo. Yeah. I think one of the things that is happening is that doctrine is becoming frayed around the edges. The expression of doctrine is becoming more hazy. The language used with talking about doctrine is becoming progressively more imprecise. And that's something that a few people might welcome. I certainly wouldn't. I think, though, that the the only thing that uh, might well come of it 
is you get doctrinal diversity within the Catholic world. So we've already got this. So in Poland, the bishops say one thing, but you cross the river and you go to Germany and the bishops say something else. Then, of course, we've got the other. That's under Francis. Yes, under Francis. Well, wasn't we've the case under that. Benedict or John Paul II. Oh, no, II. no, no, no. It's completely... And it was up to a point the case under Paul VI, but yeah. in, in the no. end, he faced them down. Yeah. He, yeah, faced he faced them down. But it gets worse than that because in Germany, you have a certain diocese where... Ex- where something's not allowed and other dioceses where it might be allowed. So now, but this has always been the case to some extent. To go back to that priest in Rome who was hearing confessions, there's the well-known phenomenon among devout Catholics called shopping around. In other words, you go to a priest and say, Father, is it okay if I do X? And he says, no, 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 never. And you go to another priest and said, Father, is it okay if I do X? And he says, well, it all depends on your motivation or something like that. In other words, you find the priest who gives you the answer that you want. Now, that's not how conscience should work. Your conscience... Now, that's probably as old as the church itself. Oh, yes, I should say so, yes. Except the terrible thing is... That's always gone on. Yeah, we know that. The terrible thing is that's now... That sort of diversity is becoming institutionalised well, under apart, this paper. Apart from anything else, in a, in a digital world, you know where to go. Yeah. You know which yeah, priest yes, yes, says it's what. Yes. So I could easily point someone to a priest who would say it's fine and a priest mm. who'd say, you're going straight to hell. Yeah. Now, back to the Pope. Damon Linker's thesis presupposes that Pope Francis wishes to relax church teaching on homosexuality, mm. to which I'd say... If that's the case, why has he just reaffirmed Pope Benedict's ban on anybody with deep-rooted homosexual inclinations presenting themselves at seminary to be a Catholic priest? Pope Francis has never been particularly consistent, has he, in his pronouncements? On on this subject especially, I think. Um, I think there's, you know, there's that old idea invented, I think, by Tony Blair, but again, as Elders of the Hills, triangulation. You say one thing and you say another thing, and then you you leave the punters to take their choice. So those who have got a, a conservative outlook find things in Pope Francis that echoes their conservatism. Liberals can look at Pope Francis and say, oh, yes, he's a liberal pope. In fact, he's not a liberal pope, and yet at the same time, he's not a conservative pope. So it's a deliberate confusion, I think. It, well, it's confusing. And well, I, I think, think it's we, a deliberate confusion, yeah, it because a, I think it's yeah. a confusion that he deliberately yeah. creates. It, After five years of Pope Francis, I think we can say he's had ample opportunity to clear up any confusions he may have created, but he hasn't. So therefore, we can say it's a deliberate confusion because the Pope has often on occasion said that you're there to make a mess. He said to young people, let's make a mess. He's used this this Spanish phrase for to make a mess. And interestingly, Ross Douthat's recent book on Pope Francis actually ends with the words, well, in that he has certainly succeeded. Yes, I think that's something um, I've also written that as well. He's certainly succeeded in that. He reminds me very much of the priests I knew when I was a young lad in the 1970s who always thought it was their job not to reinforce our faith as teenagers, but to challenge our faith. You know, those priests who would give sermons and which in which they wanted to make their or the, the congregation uncomfortable. I don't know if you ever went to I did, and they masses. made me profoundly uncomfortable yeah. because they were so bloody boring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, you don't expect, but you don't expect it necessarily from a Pope. Now, what drives me nuts is the sight of gay Catholics who are not so much confused about their sexuality, perhaps, as about what their relationship to the church is, who find, on the one hand, Father James Martin saying, you're LGBT and the church has got to completely change the way it talks to you, while in a rather Jesuitical fashion, his critics would say, and I'm certainly one of them, refusing to discuss the actual content of church teaching. Mm -hmm. 
And on the other hand, whether it's a reaction to the Pope or Father Martin's outbursts or reported comments, conservative Catholics who are saying louder than ever before, especially in America, the Pope or Father Martin are leading people to hell. And hell is the destiny for gay Catholics, which is a message that you expect to hear maybe from Africa, but not so much from 21st century America. But I am hearing it, or at least reading it, on social media all the time. God forbid that anybody should go to hell. Well, maybe nobody will, because the Pope's hinted that it doesn't exist. Know, Again, I hinted. Yeah. I mean, one of the things is, when we think about hell, we don't want to go there, and we want to do everything we possibly can to lead souls away from possibilities of going to hell. And so I think in the end, you have to tell people the truth. And, uh, you know, you have to say to people, if you carry on doing this, your soul will be in danger. I mean, that's, that's charity to say that to somebody. So, for example, if you meet anybody who is steeped in sin, you call them to repentance. And I'm not just talking, obviously, about sexual sins. I'm talking about sins across the board. One of the things I'd like to ask, you know, just to throw into this discussion is, why are we always talking about the sin of homosexuality? Now, you know, I'm a moral theologian. There's so many sins in the world. Why do we always focus on this sin of homosexuality? Because, although what goes on in the bedroom is not visible, it is hard to conceal a gay relationship in the way that it is very, very easy to conceal the fact that a married couple are using contraception. Yeah. So, for example, if the Pope meets a gay couple, yeah. as he has several times... And a transsexual couple, and a transsexual I think. couple, yeah. that's a very visible statement. Mm. If a gay couple get turned away from some mm. church event, which has also happened, that's also a very mm. visible statement. Mm. If somebody comes out then that attracts media attention and they immediately get put under the spotlight and ask, well, what mm. do you mean by coming out? And therefore, a window is shone into their bedroom, not into their souls. I think one of the things, one of the phrases that immediately comes to mind when I hear you say that is this question of tip of the iceberg. For the Americans, and also for some people on this side of the Atlantic, the whole question of homosexuality is canary down the mineshaft or tip of the iceberg for other issues. They see this as, you know, the, the vanguard of change, but this would be the battering ram that forces open the wall of doctrine, to let other things in. Homosexuality is the presented question, but there are other questions behind it. Well, I I agree with you up to a point, but for many conservative Catholics, allowing, blessing Mm. the sin of sodomy is actually the worst imaginable thing. Yeah, I suppose for some Catholics that might be the case. But I think for for somebody like me, I think I just see this discussion of homosexuality as something of a thin end of the wedge argument. You know, the, the if we can force an opening on this, we'll force an opening on so many other things. But and there, of course, we've got a big problem because the question of homosexuality has got to be discussed on its own merits, not on its possible consequences. What might come next? We've got to discuss it on its own merits. And not in off the cuff remarks from the Supreme Pontiff, which he then refuses to confirm or deny. And if you look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you see that it's very, very carefully worded. And that careful wording must have come out of hours and hours and hours of discussion in closed rooms in the Vatican amongst very clever theologians. Well, it looks as if that time was wasted, doesn't it? Alas, yes. One of the great gifts of the Catholic Church, the world, apart from Baroque architecture and things like that, is the question of what do you mean by that? These hermeneutics, in other words. In other words, please let's get our language precise so then we can express ourselves precisely as opposed to people sounding off using a whole load of words which we're not quite sure what they mean 
if only we can have precision in our national conversation, just imagine what a better or, country Britain would or be. Or perhaps precisely using confusing words in order to open up possibilities that cannot be presented officially. That's true. When you use a sword, sometimes your opponent may grab the sword and use it against you. And of course, that seems to be happening now. It's been turned against us, this obsession with precision of language. Well, my line, for what it's worth, is that the Catholic Church was always sailing into dangerous waters because of the gulf between what the Church teaches and what people in the West think on this particular subject is enormous. Mm. But we had no idea that we were going to be sailing into these dangerous waters under a captain with such a shaky hand on the tiller. Father Alexander Lucy Smith, thank you very much. Damien, my pleasure. <laughs>